Hello and welcome to the Sincere Yogi Podcast, a podcast for yogis just like you who are seeking more from their yoga practice that you can't get in your average studio class. My name is Sarah and I'll be your host. Hello, yogis, and welcome back to the podcast. My name is Sarah. If you don't know who I am already, that means that you probably haven't been listening along to the last few episodes. And if that's the case, I highly recommend that you backtrack because today's topic, Ishvara Pranidhana, is the final niyama of the eight-limbed path of yoga. And just like all of the previous yamas and niyamas, Ishvara Pranidhana calls upon the aspects of practice that were previously learned and discussed in the last few podcast episodes. So so I highly recommend taking a moment to play catch up before joining in. But without further ado, let's discuss the final niyama. The niyamas, as you know, are mental observances and Ishvara Pranidhana is where everything starts to come together and perfectly summarize the practices of all of the previous yamas, all of the previous niyamas, and really bring the yoga practice and philosophies full circle as a whole. It brings about the idea of unity, the idea of a higher source, and requires that you use ahimsa, saucha, satya, all of the previous limbs of practice in order to integrate into your daily life. So you may be wondering, what is Ishvara Pranidhana? Ishvara Pranidhana is surrender to a higher power or a higher source. And in some texts, this practice is often referred to as surrendering to God. Now it's important to keep in mind that while yoga is a cultural practice, stemming from Vedic teachings, Hinduism, that God here is a universal term for whatever that higher source means for you. Now, this is where things with the yoga practice sort of get muddled with religion. Yoga is a spiritual practice, and a spiritual practice by nature is curious about our own inner selves, our own consciousness, as well as where that consciousness comes from. And Ishvara Pranidhana is the perfect way to start to meditate and connect with that consciousness by surrendering to that higher source, acknowledging that you, me, and everything around you that is living, breathing, and existing has elements of that higher source within it. Now, due to religious background, upbringing, cultural background, whatever this highest source is or higher source is, it's going to be different depending on the practitioner. And that's where you're asked to call, observe, and meditate to sort of see what that higher source is for you. Now, you may already have an idea of this higher source because you may already practice some type of religion. But if you don't, I invite you to think of higher source simply as that source of consciousness. 
Now, in yoga, this higher source or supreme consciousness is called Brahma. And everybody has an aspect of that supreme consciousness within their being. And this entire yoga practice is supposed to help us align with and almost activate that conscious energy so that we can reach higher states of consciousness and move on to whatever that higher state is, breaking the karmic cycle of rebirth. Once again, these concepts are going to look different for you depending on your background, but it's important to understand the cultural roots of the practice, which is why I'm sharing these aspects with all of you. So you may hear things that don't resonate with you that you might disagree with, and I invite you to just simply sit with those thoughts, those ideas, and see maybe how your personal experiences might relate or have some similarities to the cultural background of yoga. With that being said, let's take a moment to acknowledge this buildup of our practice thus far. Starting off with the basis of the yamas, which are moral restraints or the general do's and don'ts of the yoga practice. These moral restraints help clear your karmic energy and clear your karmic patterns or your samskaras from a logical, emotional, action-based level. And the very first yama, ahimsa, is sort of this end-all, be-all golden rule, and that is practicing compassion and nonviolence towards all living things. Ahimsa is where we can really see this recognition of humanity, of energy, of life in other beings. And that's really what every single yama is kind of getting us to do. It's allowing us to recognize the humanity within others and ourselves so that we can reach a deeper state of connection and understanding, along with, of course, clearing our karmic patterns and all of that fun stuff too. When we take a look now at the niyamas, our mental observances, we've allowed our actions to be morally aligned. We've allowed our thoughts to start to become more morally aligned. And as we do this, we start to move into this space of reactionary ego into a space of a quiet observer. We start to observe our thoughts, observe our actions without identifying with them. Therefore, we can better respond to situations occurring around us rather than react from that sort of ego-based level, that singular perspective. Now, this observer state is what Ishvara Pranidhana is really starting to call into question. Who is that observer? What is that observer? And this is where maybe your cultural background has given you an idea of what that observer is. But the closer we get to understanding it, this observer, this conscious energy, as we see it within ourselves, the closer we get to understanding whatever it, whatever this higher conscious divine energy really is. 
And this is where Ishvara Pranidhana not only so beautifully wraps up the first two limbs of the yoga practice, this is why we're doing it, right? But it also really sums up the idea of unity as a whole. And yoga, that word yoga, directly translates into yolking. Yolking of the mind, the body, the spirit, the five layers of our being. This idea of yolking, of unity, is all about stepping outside of that singular perspective and playing into that bird's eye view so that we can get closer to that divine consciousness within, around, and above us. And we've talked a lot about theory of Ishvara Pranidhana. I could geek out about this one all day, to be honest. But how do we actually practice this? Because this is one of those practices where it's like, okay, it's kind of subjective and it's kind of elusive in nature. So let's talk about some easy ways that we can incorporate Ishvara Pranidhana into our daily life. Now, first and foremost, if you are religious, if you have a religious practice, if you go to church, if you practice prayer at certain times of the day, these are all ways in which you're showing reverence to that higher power and surrendering your time, surrendering your energy to that higher power in the recognition of that sort of source consciousness, source energy. Now, that is a great way to practice Ishvara Pranidhana, but it's not the only way to practice Ishvara Pranidhana. And I also think it's nice to have separate practices outside of strictly religious practices where you can bring Ishvara Pranidhana into your everyday life, on your yoga mat, in your practice, in your meditation, so on and so forth. You may have heard teachers talk about surrendering to the sensations of a yoga posture surrendering your expectations or or this idea of control over certain circumstances and situations. This is an act of surrender and can be an act of surrendering to a higher source, surrendering to sort of this force or power that gives people free will and keeps things moving in a way that we can't always directly influence. So surrendering isn't this passive, meek thing that we're doing, it's actually regrounding us and giving us a sense of empowerment, knowing that we have that source energy within us. And even though we are not in control of everything, our perception and our world is ours to find that sense of equanimity. That is what we can control. And it's empowering and humbling all in one because it does sort of pick at your ego and you do have to get to a certain space of removing that identification with your ego in order to find that empowering space of surrendering to a higher source. So once again, that's where the practice of the yamas and niyamas will constantly come back into play as you move into this practice of surrender. This is the same idea when it comes to surrendering in your meditation practice. Surrender the idea of thoughtlessness and just sit as you are. Surrender your judgments, acknowledge things from that bird's eye perspective, 
from that observer state and do your best not to run away with these thoughts. The more that you try to fight the thoughts and rid them out of your mind, the more your focus is going to be on the thoughts versus if you surrender that attachment to thoughtlessness and just acknowledge your thoughts as they come and go, you'll start to get in touch with that observer and that supreme divine conscious energy within. Now, of course, those moments are few and far between, so surrender your expectations because even though you are this beautiful conscious being, you're still having a human experience. You're still going to be processing thoughts, experiences, and emotions on a daily basis, both on and off your mat, both in and out of your meditation practice. And finally, when it comes to practicing Ishvara Pranidhana on your yoga mat, practicing a full-length Shavasana and completely surrendering yourself to the experience in the present moment in Shavasana is a major act of Ishvara Pranidhana. That is where you get the most physical, mental, emotional, and energetic surrender After you've put in all of that time on your yoga mat, all of that physical energy, all of that mental energy, you've squeezed your brain, you've worked your muscles, and then you just allow yourself to completely surrender and melt into your own inner experience. That's where you really start to get in touch with your higher self, with that conscious energy within. That's where the gifts of intuition start to manifest and come into play. Not to mention Shavasana is incredibly beneficial for your nervous system, does wonders for your brain and body, and quite frankly, should never be skipped in your asana practice. A good length shavasana for a 60-minute yoga class is anywhere from 5 to 7 minutes, but I've definitely taken a good 15 to 20-minute long shavasana before, and sometimes your body really needs it. So don't skip out on shavasana, and I'll step down from my soapbox now. Now, these are all great ways that you can start to bring this idea of surrender on your yoga mat, in your yoga practice. You can meditate on what that higher source is within, above, and around you. And in doing so, you can start to bring this idea of a higher energy, of unity, into your everyday life with your interactions with the living beings around you. The karmic practice of the yamas has set you up to be able to see this divine within every living thing. And when you see that divine within every living thing, you're able to further yourself from your ego's perception. You're better able to understand and connect on a much more deeper level with others around you and not just humans, right? Pets and animals as well. And in doing so, you can build some really strong relationships with these beings and overall just improve the quality of your life, improve your sort of karmic energy, and bring yourself to this idea of unity in every living moment. The more you practice and cultivate Ishvara Pranidhana, the closer to Samadhi, Nirvana, Enlightenment you will become. It is such a beautiful practice and really, as you can tell, just in journeying from the Yamas to the Niyamas, 
We've already seen yoga as a complete practice strictly from a mental and philosophical level, strictly from theory, and we've talked about putting it into practice in our daily life. We've talked about putting it into practice in our asana and meditation, but we can see that there are so many ways to practice yoga that asana and meditation are barely touching the surface of these deeper philosophies. And when we start to integrate these deeper philosophies into our asana and meditation practice, then the fruits of the practice almost start to magically manifest. And it's not without a lot of hard work. It's not without a lot of intention, a lot of grace, a lot of patience within yourself. But nothing worth having is easy, as we all know. And when you really work at these practices, not only do they allow you to connect with yourself and others on a deeper level, but you start to experience life in all of its richness in a completely different way that honestly, once you start having these experiences, you're like, oh my gosh, I should have done yoga 20 years ago, right? I wish I knew this all along. So... The practice of yoga, while it's challenging, while there's a lot to work on, while you're going to fail, quite frankly, because you're human, is a really beautiful practice of ultimately coming home and stepping into our own power and recognizing the beauty of that love and power within others. So with that, I'm going to end this episode. I've talked a lot in regards to both the yamas and the niyamas and Ishvarapanidana. But I am going to have one more episode in this series talking about all of the yamas and niyamas as a whole, talking about the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali and where we're going next. I'm super stoked to continue this conversation with you and keep learning and growing alongside you. As always, thank you so much for tuning in and I'll see you next time. Thank you for joining me on the Sincere Yogi Podcast. If you want to deepen your yoga and meditation practice, check out my workshops and masterclasses on the Playbook app or join my guided meditation series on Insight Timer. If you just want to stop by, say hi, and see what's up, you can find me at the Sincere Yogi on Instagram.